So last time I gave you a handout and I got through about 20% of it. So we're going to pick up on my uh, first point to finish it out. And that was as we considered Phoebe. So let's look there. Verses 1 through 2. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the Lord in Sincrea. Sorry, I can't. Uh, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sincrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. So last time we talked about the idea that a servant of the church is sometimes translated as a deacon of the church. And so what we're considering, we last time we talked about how that's not the case, um, and we talked about some of the positive view of it, and I wanted to lay out more of the positive here, and we're going to get into looking at Priscilla and Aquila as well. But so I laid out at the beginning of today's handout a uh, systematic categorization of the types of roles of women. Now, this is something that a lot of people would uh, be displeased with. Why? Because this list is a list that suggests that the place of women is largely dependent upon the relationship that they have with a male head of house. Okay, so that right there is something that's going to be discomforting to a lot of people. And at the same time, that's the way that God has designed it. So we are going to go along with the scripture categories. And so what we want to think about is the fact that the scriptures tend to divide women into young women and older women. And I'll help you to see definitions for what those are. But also, with the younger women, there's the younger woman who's a virgin in the house of the father, a maiden in the house of the father. There's the young married woman. There's the young woman who's a widow or divorced who has no children. There's the young woman who's a widow or divorced with children. Then you go into the older women, the older woman who's married, the older woman who is a widow or who is divorced, or who has been unmarried but her father has died and she perhaps does not have uh, either a male protector or has inherited and is the head of an estate, but she has no young children. Okay, so... Inside of that, then there's those who are qualified for the widow's honor, in other words, to receive pay from the church, and then those who are disqualified. Now, amongst those who are qualified, you also have those who have need of economic help, and you have those who don't have need of economic help. Okay, so these are the organizational categories that help us to think about how the role of women works. And what we get with Phoebe when Phoebe is dealt with in her service to the church, Phoebe seems to fit into the category of the older woman. She either is divorced, widowed, or unmarried with no young children. And she seems qualified, but without any economic need. These are the things that help us understand Phoebe's situation. So Phoebe is traveling to Rome. We talked about how this is indicative of the fact that she is probably a merchant and has a household that involves multiple people. She is involved in the transport of the letter. 
And so she's commended for her service to the church as a woman head of house. She has no husband or father who's a believer, who's alive. She deploys her household to serve others. She acts as both the master and the mistress of the house, much like a widower would. And so perhaps she is a widower. Sorry, not, not a widower, she, just as a widow would. But a widower, you think about a man whose wife has died, and he would not have a wife to deal with the things that a wife would normally deal with in the house. And so he would take on those responsibilities, right? So he would be the master and mistress, so to speak. And he could delegate some of those things, but that's, that's the situation. So she's an older woman who seems to be qualified for the widow's honor, but is not in need of economic help. So we're carrying on with how should women serve the church? This is the positive side. Remember last time I said so, sometimes in the controversy about the idea of the diaconate possibly having women in it, we sometimes forget the positive element. So I emphasized that last time, but I want to go through more. The standard assumption in the Bible is that women will be under a man in the home, and for most of life that would mean being married. Genesis 1 and 2 give us the norm at the beginning of the Bible. The woman of valor in Proverbs 31 is a married woman. These are the norms. These are the standards. This is the kind of the expectation of the ordinary life of a woman. The other things are situations, the other situations that we looked at are deviations from the norm. It doesn't mean it's sin to be in those statuses, but the idea is that that's not the normal expectation of a woman's life. Okay, so those things add complexity, and in order to deal with the more complex and the deviations off of the normal course, we have to have a strong understanding of the normal course. So in the normal course, I don't have time to go through Proverbs 31 today. It's a text that I cite all the time. If you don't understand Proverbs 31, you do not understand what women are supposed to seek to be like in marriage. Period. End of sentence. Thought complete. So Proverbs 31 is a very important text to be familiar with. For men, the qualifications of an elder are sort of the same thing. You, you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, you look at Titus 1, those things provide for men the sense of normalcy, what they're to look for. So here are the major areas that Proverbs 31 emphasizes. And if you read Proverbs 31, and these aren't the major takeaways, you're reading it wrong. One, a worker in the household. Industry is emphasized. One who works to build up the household. A worker of the household. Leading by example in industry. So, being a worker in the household means you're doing work for the family firm. You're trying to make the firm, the family, prosper. Two, a ruler of the household. A worker to manage the household. One with authority in the household as the queen of the household. The, the wife is the queen of the household. She has managerial authority. She's called the despotes of the oikos. Okay? The word despot comes from that. You can hear it. It's pretty despotes, despot. Despotes, despot. So you think about despotism. That's the idea of a ruler ruling his state like it's his household. 
that's tyranny, the reason it's tyranny is because the state is not the household. And the state has a very limited and defined authority. The household has a rather extensive authority over its members. And so you could see how if you are ruling a state like a person would rule a household, how that would be tyranny. But management, careful management, detail management over the household is legitimate exercise of authority. The wife has a place of rule beside her husband and under the authority of her husband, but a place given to her by God as a manager of the household. Management is work. This is not the exercise of authority to be lazy. This is the exercise of authority to get more work done, to generate more value, to work in material things and in the souls of the people in the household. This cultivating and guarding management. Third, focus on the household as an officer of the household. This doesn't mean that the woman is always in the physical house. But it means that the woman is thinking about her work in terms of focusing her work to benefit, help, and advance the household and its members. She's thinking about the firm when she's not at the firm building, necessarily. Focusing work on the advancement of the household, its members, and especially the head of the house. The woman is to manifest loyalty and holiness unto the household. And that language, I chose that intentionally to offend your sensibility. Think about holiness, and you think the only thing you can be holy unto is God. You should be holy unto God. And the way a woman is holy unto God is being holy unto her household, holy unto her husband. She focuses on the service towards her husband and not in the sense of having a loyalty of something else that is higher. Loyalty and holiness unto the household. Focus upon the good of the household. Now, let me put this to you in different terms. A queen should be more concerned about her own country than with other countries. Now, this idea of industry in those three points, a worker in the household, a ruler of the household, and a focus on the household, that is differentiated from men in this way. Men should work in the house, and men should rule in the house, and Men should focus on the well-being of their house, but they can take public office and focus on public matters. They can become church officers, and they can work in that sphere, and they have responsibility to focus on that sphere, and in the state as well, being magistrates. This focus on the household allows men to build the house up together with their wife, and then when the house is built up to a point where there's sufficient resources to be able to overflow into the external service. Now, the woman also is to be careful because when you have become intensely loyal, one of the things is you can start to become stingy. If you become intensely loyal, you can become stingy. You can go, I don't want to take resources from the family, from the firm, from the household, and give that to somebody else or to another household. So liberality, right? The Proverbs 31 woman is shown to work really hard, be industrious, generate lots of profit, and then gives. 
She helps to provide for the people in her house first and then is a giver. So liberality, freeness with property, generosity is another word. Liberality, and that liberality has to be for the purpose of evangelism and discipleship. Now, liberality is different from hospitality. Here's how. Liberality is giving property or time. Hospitality is sharing in property and time. Think about this. It's generous to give somebody a meal. It's hospitable to share it with them. It's generous to give somebody property. It's hospitable to enjoy the property with them. So that idea of liberality or generosity, then also hospitality. And hospitality is important for the ministry of women because they're not allowed to speak in the church. Where can they teach? in the home, in the place where hospitality is. Hospitality gives a place for the woman to be able to disciple, to be able to evangelize, to be able to bless. And so hospitality, property and time that's shared, allows for the enjoyment of things together and gives a good context in which there's ability to discuss the things of God. And another text that I frequently cite, that I don't have time to go through today, is the hospitality of Solomon for the Queen of Sheba, 1 Kings 10, 2 Chronicles 9. If you're not familiar with those texts, be familiar with them. They are examples of primo hospitality. He's the host with the most. Now, the wife is called to be a helper of her husband, or father, if the husband, if, you know, if, if this is a daughter, or you could have some other patriarch, but in the general tendency of marriage, right, the helper of her husband. Woman is to be a teacher and trainer and manager of those persons who are under her authority. And some of that can be economically inefficient. The first decade or so of children's lives is economically inefficient. The time put in does not yield the same amount of economic output. It doesn't exceed it. It seems to be quite negative. And so children, you should realize the great expense that your parents put into your well-being. That expense is in time and toil, sometimes not just sweat but blood. And so this idea that there's a great expense and the fruit of it is the joy of seeing children walk in the truth. And as they pass through their first decade and into their second, the beginnings of usefulness that begins to bear some return. Now, last time we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And I'm at the text there, but I want to just give you, here's the summary. It's, it's A on page 3. Not ruling or teaching in the assembly, the silence without authority. Not, this is what women do, they're not showing off physical appearance or wealth in the assembly, but they're modest, with propriety, discretion, piety, good works, learning, submission, 
accepting the protection of a male head of house, and having and raising children to grow in sanctification, in faith, love, holiness, and self-rule. I've given you some definitions here, and I found modesty by Noah Webster in his 1828 dictionary to be particularly an impressive thing. I'm going to read to you the bold part, but on your own you could read the non-bolded parts later on. What's modesty? It's that lowly temper which accompanies a moderate esteem of one's own worth and importance. Right, we, have, we live in the self-esteem age. You go, you need to think of yourself as very important and uh, worth everything. Are you worth it? Of course. Don't even ask the question. Of course you're worth it. Worth what? What are we talking about? It doesn't even matter. You're worth it. The lowly temper, which accompanies a moderate esteem of one's own worth and importance. It's manifested in a retiring and unobtrusive manner. Assuming less to itself than others are willing to yield. Conceding to others all due honor and respect, or even more than they expect or require. Our culture has tried to remove that from women. It's tried to say, women, lean in. Women, take more. Women demand respect. Beauty in womanhood expresses itself in modesty. And that comes from the scriptures. Women should adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper to women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. The modesty of apparel and the modesty of behavior Modesty consists in humility, not being obtrusive, not like pushing into other people's business or demanding the floor, opposing itself to extreme boldness or forwardness or arrogance, presumption. Modesty is decency. This is a quote from Webster. In females, modesty has the like character as in males, but the word is used also is synonymous with chastity or purity of manners. In this sense, modesty results from purity of mind or from the fear of disgrace and ignominy fortified by education and principle. And listen to this. Unaffected modesty is the sweetest charm of female excellence, the richest gem in the diadem of their honor. Propriety is talked about. What's Propriety. It's a fitness, a suitableness, a, an appropriateness. Propriety of conduct in a moral sense consists in its conformity to the moral law. Propriety of behavior consists in conformity to the established rules of decorum. Now, this is something that is alien to what is talked about for young ladies, and for older women. But it feels right. 
it's hard to avoid that. The reason it feels right is because there's something about that that even in the most hardened feminist heart, you can't really call that ugly. Now, feeling doesn't determine the truth of things. The word of God is true, and let every man be a liar. But the beauty of that is undeniable. The woman as the teacher and the woman as example goes on into Titus 2, and you'll see the connectedness of that First Timothy text. Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. The older woman, women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. You hear a list like that, and here's what happens. You start to go, woe is me, I can't possibly do all the things that are listed out there. How am I ever going to remember these things, much less do them? Okay? Well, in the same way that I would expect the men to deal with lists. Study them a lot. The men, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, study it a lot. We're going through that. We've got lots of sermons on it. More sermons on 1 Timothy 3 than any other thing are on our sermon audio page. You study the lists a lot, and you unpack, you break down. Well, I give the, I've given you in writing a breakdown of these particular things. So you study them a lot. So why don't you do that? Well, you're going to spend your whole life as a woman. So do it well. Man, you're going to spend your whole life as a man. Do it well. Be excellent men and excellent women. Image Christ in your masculinity and in your femininity. So the older women, the word there is, it's an interesting word. It's the word presbyter put into the feminine form. And the word presbyter is elder in Greek. And so, woman elder, the older woman. Be reverent in behavior. That word for reverent there is listed out there. I've got it. It's the, the Greek. It's higher, hiero, prepis. Okay, that's this idea of being priestly. You know the word hierarchy? Hier- is, hierarchy is the rule of the priests. It's a weird word that we use it to just mean any structure of authority. Okay, but higher means priest in Greek. Okay? So this is priest-like behavior. Saying, women, be priest-like, be priestly in your behavior. That second word there that starts with a K, that's the Greek word there for the behavior. Be priestly in your behavior. Be priestly in your deportment, your demeanor, your carriage, the way you carry yourself. Carry yourselves in a manner that's fitting of a high priest entering the Holy of Holies. That would be sort of another way of explaining that. How would you expect a priest to act going into the temple? Mm-hmm. With beauty and glory and self-control. Mm-hmm. Women manifest priestliness in the whole of life in a way that is more distinctive than the way that men generally do. 
the concern on relationship and loyalty and purity is not only feminine, but it is feminine par excellence. It is a manifestation of the glories of femininity. You're called to carry yourself like a priest. And so this is what older women in particular are called to, this particular seriousness, this particular beauty and glory. So how do you know if you're fitting in the older woman category? Well, are you 60 or over? Typically we look at 1 to 30 is youth, 30 to 60 is prime, 60 and above, the older age. So the older women, 60 or over, you're in the category. Do you have grown children who have left the house and no children left in the house? You're an older woman. Are you incapable of having more children due to age? You're an older woman. These are things that the Bible would use as a thing of helping us to understand our place in life. Okay? You, you don't have young children anymore. You are older. You're not going to have more young children. So this is, you, if you are in that category, you are called to be priestly in your deportment, demeanor, carriage. And younger women should be seeking to become mature. So you look to that. The idea of not being slanderers, right? not defaming, not injuring the reputation of others without duty. Not being given to much wine. You're not enslaved to wine. You're not enslaved to pleasure. You're not a pleasure seeker. You think, think about this. Priestliness is associated partly with beauty, like we just said, which means there's also a tendency, if you're priestly, when you care about beauty and you care about the pleasantness of things, do you see how that might lend itself to starting to become enslaved to pleasure? So you think that would be a reasonable warning? And if women are concerned about making things beautiful, make sure that you don't become a slave to beauty and to pleasure. Don't become enslaved to the pleasant experience. Make sure to put the pleasant experience in service of the glory of God. You have a good meal not just for good meal's sake. You're not just entertaining to have people have a good time. You're having hospitality so you can disciple and evangelize. You're having hospitality that's beautiful, that ornaments the word. See the difference between those two things? Now, if women are relational, and if they're able to develop intimacy, if they're going to be priestly, you can see how important it is to not be a slanderer, because you're going to have access to intimate details, and so you need to be careful about reputation. The idea of a woman who is very priestly in her outward deportment, who is not enslaved to pleasure, but is a hard worker, and at the same time is a beautifier, but is a slanderer, do you see how that would be a very powerful weapon of the enemy? Teachers of good things. The word good there is not the um, general word for good. The general word for good comes up later. The idea that the younger women should be 
taught to be good. The word here is kalo, which is more in line with beauty. Okay, the idea of what is beautiful and beauty is a sign of what is good. Okay, so you have older women are called to be kalo didaskalus, which obviously requires no further comment, so I'll move on. Okay, didaskalus is, is based upon the root word for, for doctrine or teaching doctrine. Okay, being didactic, okay, didaskalus. Uh, doctrine, the idea that you're a teacher or a doctor of beauty. Older women are called to be teachers of what is beautiful. And in doing that, you're called to admonish the younger women. And the word for admonish is based upon the root word sophrona, which is prudent or wise. In other words, you're a prudentizer of the young women. You're a wiseifier of the young women. You soberize the young women. You help them to become more serious. And that's a part of how you help to make the younger women more beautiful. Because a woman without discretion who's beautiful is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. That's what Proverbs says. So, our beauty, no discretion, no sobriety, no, no wisdom, no discernment or prudence what a waste so younger women here's the here's the here's the curriculum that the older women are called to teach and young women this is the curriculum that you're called to learn teach the younger women and also, men, pay attention to this. You're looking for a wife? You're looking how to raise your children? Here's the stuff that makes up a truly beautiful woman. Here's the identifiers of beauty. This is what the doctor of beauty treats the young women with. Now, how do you know if you're a younger woman? Hey, you're under 60, you have your own children in your home, you're able to have more children, okay, you're a younger woman. They're to be taught to be lovers of their own husbands. What does it mean to be a lover of something? Well, it means you're seeking the good of that thing, okay, because the next thing is lovers of their own children. We're not talking about just erotic love here, okay, that doesn't apply to the children, obviously, so what we're talking about is how do you love a thing? You seek its good. So in order to love a thing, you need to know what's good for that thing. And if that thing is also human, then it's going to have a shared good that you have. So you need to know what's good for you. You need the knowledge of God. You need wisdom. A woman can only love her husband if she knows what's good. A woman that knows the good of her husband is then able as a supporter of the leadership of her husband, to apply the law of God to seek to bless her husband. That takes the form of honoring him, submitting to him, seeking to increase his dominion and discipleship under his imperfect rule. A part of this, part of the show that God has planned, okay, episode 7 billion and 5, 
is your particular marriage with your particular imperfect husband and the failures of the husband are a part of the emphasis of the beauty of the submission of the wife. The failures of the husband make it so that there's a more powerful witness opportunity in the continued submission. A woman who applies the law of God to her husband is a lover of her husband. That means working with him in his company, physically, but also for his goals. Working for him, under his rule. Honoring him, giving honor to him, seeking to glorify him, not as God, but in other words, trying to beautify his rule. Caring for his body and his possessions. The diaconal work of the home you can sometimes kind of refer to it as. Women help with the logistics of making things run, providing sexual care for the husband, providing food for the husband, the clothing of the husband, making sure that everything keeps running, the physical house, hospitality support, being an ambassador for the husband, helping with correspondence with other people and communication as a representative of the husband, not having this like separated communication path where you're unconnected, but the idea that you communicate with each other and have shared household communication. Helping to manage the schedule and keep to the time desires that the husband has and helping with capital management. Read Proverbs 31 and tell me which of those things isn't there. That's the loving of the husband. Being a lover of your own children. A woman needs to know what's good for her. A woman needs to know what's good for her children. The woman needs to know how to apply the law of God to her children. So training children to be prophets, giving them knowledge, giving them doctrine, filling their heads with right information. And children, you're called to study the information that your parents teach you to study, to pull it in, to get the information into your mind. Training the children to be priests, having right affections and relationships, being holy, having the right purposes. That's the training of the children in priestliness. Training the children to be kings, so they have habits and skilled and skills to accomplish goals with right means, to display righteousness. Training children to glorify God with their spirits, with their bodies, and with their property. This is a big deal, and it's a hard deal. It's a big deal, and it's a hard deal. It's difficult to do, and it matters a lot. The loving of the husband and the loving of the children. Our culture has waged war on this. Are you trying to serve your husband? How worthless is that? Are you trying to care for children? That's like minimum wage stuff. You might as well be cleaning toilets. In fact, you probably have to clean toilets in your house sometimes. You're not appreciated. Men, it's our duty to deal with the fact that the culture has attacked that and we need to make womanhood beautiful. We need to acknowledge the status of the wife as a queen in the home. And we need to take seriously the importance of leading in mission so that these things fit together in a purpose. Women, you're called to be discreet. Now, the word in the, the Greek is sophronis. It's prudent, wise, discerning. One who becomes discerning 
is one who has studied the word of God and been careful to try to apply it. This list, all of these individual things, you go, how can I possibly be these things? By repetition of the word of God and repetition of the application of it. This is the purpose of life. This is not a simple thing. This is not a one-off thing. This is a all-the-time thing with the complexity to cover the whole of reality. This is a world and life view. If it's simple, it will be boring fast. There is too much to do, too much to cover, too much to rule for this to be simple. The saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is simple. Look to the mercy of God in Christ. He paid for your sins. He provides you with righteousness. You understand that. Just the smallest amount of faith is necessary for justification. But if you want to rule the world as a vice regent under God and to have children that you prepare to be princes and princesses who will be kings and queens of their own, you want it to be simpler than Mario Brothers? Just A and B, that's all you have to press. It's difficult and it's complex because it covers all of reality. Being discreet is being prudent. It's being wise. I have 1828 down there. You've hit that before. You know what Sophronis is. We've talked about it a lot. It's discreet. It's wise. Prudent. Women are called to be chaste, to be pure. If you're going to have intense relational loyalty and power, you need to be very careful to maintain that by avoiding sexual impurity. Being a homemaker is being a worker in the household. We've talked about that already earlier on. Being good. What does it mean to be good as a woman? It means to be one who understands the truth and seeks to apply the truth. The, the law of God teaches us that goodness. Obedient to their own husbands. We already talked about this. But let me remind you. Obedience to imperfect husbands is a powerful tool to show that you actually believe what you say you believe. The world blasphemes the word of God in part because of dysfunctional Christian homes. Women, young women, you are called, and older women, you are called to bring honor to the word of God by showing that you believe the word of God by obeying your husband's Rebellion against husbands is one of the great ways of showing that Christian women do not actually believe the Bible. And you can actually believe it and be inconsistent. But this is a powerful way that people say, how is the church really that different from the world? Righteous obedience to sinful husbands with imperfect plans, with inefficient steps, Right? Husbands, how many bad plans have you ever implemented? How many inefficient plans have you ever implemented? How many times have you exercised your authority with a sinful attitude? Okay, so we can confess these things. And women, unless the command is sin, those failures of the husband provide a greater backdrop, a greater power to show that the word of God creates beauty and honor and makes the home into a place of glory and wonder. Failures of the husband 
provided an opportunity to display the glory of God more powerfully. That's the standard life that a Christian woman is called to. Phoebe, as an older woman, not having her own husband, was doing the work of the older woman, going around and helping, and helping to see those households put into proper order. She, not having her own younger children to deal with, not having a husband, was free to focus on the service to the women in the church and to be able to see beauty manifested in other homes. Paul says to receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and to assist her in whatever business she has need of. Because she's been a helper of many. Help her because she's useful. Helping her means put resources, put your time into assisting her. Now, that's the kind of work that Phoebe was able to do in her position. Priscilla and Aquila are married, obviously. And what you would see there is them working to do the same sort of thing. Priscilla would do the same sort of thing as Phoebe. But she has the opportunity to specifically support a husband, which opened up other interesting opportunities. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that's in their house. Do you think Aquila would be able to be of use to so many saints, to manage a church that meets in his own household? and to be able to effectively deal with hospitality to teach Apollos, you think all those things would be as easily accomplishable for Aquila if he did not have Priscilla. And notice, Aquila does not hide the jewel of a wife that he has. It gives meaningful work to Priscilla. It gives her opportunity and doesn't shush her when he's telling the magnificent preacher, Apollos, what he did wrong. They both talk together with Apollos. So we'll review that next time. We'll look at Priscilla and Aquila as we continue on thinking about the glories and the beauties of the roles of women in the church and how that fits together with the roles of men and how it is the vine that grows around the structure of the trellis that men provide. Comments, questions, objections, the voting members and those with speaking rights. Mr. Courtney. In uh, Romans 16 to 22, it says, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you the Lord. So this is not Paul. So Tertius would have been his amanuensis. He would have been his secretary, his uh, typist. Uh, he, it's Paul's letter, and Tertius is, is doing secretarial work. I was scribe. 
Yes, scribe. Sorry, I couldn't think of a better. That's yeah, that's yeah. a better word. Okay, thank you. So that uh, yeah. Anything else? All right, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help the women to see the glories and beauty of the particular role that they have been given. I ask that you would cause men to make good use of their wives and fathers to make good use of their daughters. I ask that you would cause women to desire this priestly and beautiful role and to not believe the lies of feminism that because they can't have church office or civil office that they therefore are kept from positions of value. Father, I ask that you would cause the men to have high aspirations for your glory and the women to desire to support in that. That it be no envy or strife over the roles that you have assigned to us in your providence and in your law. That you would cause us to glory in the kindnesses you've given to others and to glory in the mercies that you've given to us in particular and to help us to focus on the work that's been given to us being modest in acknowledging that we have limits on our own individual importance and to seek to honor others more than ourselves. Father, I ask that you would cause the beauty of femininity to flower in our midst and to cause the men to nurture and to protect it. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.